0: very glad that uh, those of you on this holiday weekend who are here decided to be here as opposed to somewhere else. (laughs) Otherwise, it would be really sparse today, but I'm very glad that you're here today. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that happens with a church consisting of a lot of young families is you go visit relatives. And so uh, I'm glad that you're here. So that's good but we'd still have Bible study. You know one of the things I do always notice when we get to the summertime and, and we, we get like this, I go into my teacher mode where if I had my white erase board behind me and some dry erase markers, the whole thing would be transformed. And so the teacher may come out in me other than the the preacher teaching kind of mold thing. So who knows? Who knows? I may turn around and try to start writing on the board and realize it's not there. So if I do, just ignore that and uh, it'll be all good. Um if you would, join me in praying and, uh, and let's ask the, the, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to be our teacher and counselor. You ready? Let's do that. Father, um, we come before you now recognizing that uh, you, Holy Spirit, are teacher. Jesus said you would be counselor, helper, teacher, reminder. And that you would remind us of all that has been said. And you would guide us into truth. And so we pray now. That you would do that. We submit to you. We ask you to be teacher. And helper. And where there is need for counseling. Counsel. And Lord we pray that you would speak clearly. We pray this for your glory. For our joy and satisfaction in you. Amen. We've been revisiting the spiritual DNA of our church. Um together for the past few weeks as a bridge between 1st Timothy 3 and 1st Timothy 4 and we get finished with that we'll launch back into 1st Timothy 4 our DNA is contained in our mission statement for the glory of God by the way those of you've been through the membership class you should know this by heart we test you on this and if you don't pass it we we get out the guns And just kidding, we really don't do that. But we we do want you to know this. um, And those of you who haven't been through the membership class, you will learn this. And I say it enough that I hope you get this. It's very important that that we remember what we're here for. Um, And and this morning is not going to be a time to go back and and unpack why we state the mission of the Bible the way we state it like this. If you want to know that, come through the membership class. Um, But we say, for the glory of God. We will build the church, both local and global, by being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. You take that statement and it's got four key components to it that we've been unpacking and revisiting. Gospel, church, global, radical. Today, we're going into part two of the church component. We've been reminded of the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. 1 Timothy 1.11 And then we started to unpack the glorious community of the kingdom of God. The church. That phrase alone is a loaded phrase. The community of the kingdom of God. The church. The big idea. in, in Two weeks ago. And in this message. Is that the church is not throwaway. The church is not a throwaway. The church is not an option. You will be hard pressed to read your Bible and think that the community of the kingdom of God is somehow optional in your discipleship. It is not. It is central. It is, it is as essential as your identification of your family lineage in your name. My kids are sons of Jolly. That name identifies who they are and the tribe they belong to. The church is the sign, the genetic spiritual DNA of the tribe you belong to. In a naturalistic culture in which the built-in fallen presupposition is is that there is nothing beyond the physical existence. It's hard to imagine that an actual physical body of people has spiritual implications in the unseen reality swirling around you, but it does. We are not atheists, we are Christians. We're we're supernaturalists, worldview-wise. You understand that? There's more than what you see. Right? And we've been blinded to that reality from the fall. That's what Eden did. That's what, that's what our parents purchased for us. The day you eat of it, you will die. And all things from that point forward have been broken, including our capacity to understand that there is more. But the big idea is the church is not throwaway. Rather, the church is a necessity for the Christian. This big idea should really be a no-duh. But often, even if a person affirms the big idea that the church is a necessity, their practice often says something different. Because in actuality, it is throwaway. It's third on the list. Maybe tenth on the list of priorities. Oh yeah, the church is vital. Church is vital. Where are you? Ah, uh, you know, I had to sleep. You know, I, I'm tired. Really? Okay. All right. Here's a reminder of what we believe about the church. This is stated in our statement of belief. This is available on the website. Go to the new member class, you learn, you'll learn this. We believe that God's new covenant people, the church, have already come to the heavenly Jerusalem. They're already seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's Ephesians. And by the way, 1 Timothy's written to Timothy who's pastoring at Ephesus. Just Bible study hint. When you're reading 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, read Ephesians along with it. That's where Timothy is an elder, okay? That we're already seated with Christ in the heavenlies. This universal church is manifest in local churches of which Christ is the only head. Thus, each local church is, in fact, the church, the household of God, the assembly of the living God, and the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is the body of Christ, the apple of His eye, graven on His hands. And He has pledged Himself to her forever. The church is distinguished by her gospel message, her sacred ordinances, her discipline, her mission. And above all, the gospel we cherish has both personal and corporate dimensions, neither of which may be properly overlooked. Christ Jesus is our peace. He has not only brought about peace with God, but also peace between alienated peoples. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both Jew and Gentile to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The church serves as a sign of God's future new world when Its members live for the service of one another and their neighbors rather than for self-focus. The church is the corporate dwelling place of God's Spirit and the continuing witness to God in the world. That's a glorious statement. I'd die for that statement. That's a hill I'd die on. The church is a glorious community. Truthfully, there's more that can be said about the church in this short, few-week revisiting of our spiritual DNA. She's a grand expression and object of the grace and love of God, but for the purposes of revisiting our spiritual DNA, we'll keep it to the highlights. First thing I want to draw your attention to today is this beautiful reality we find in Ephesians 3, 8-11. If you have your Bible, please go there. Ephesians 3, 8 to 11, and here it is. The church displays, and I use this language on purpose because it's a translation of this word that Paul uses. It's translated in your Bible if you're using the ESV or the New American Standard. The man, it's the word manifold. But here's the, the statement. The church displays the multicolored or multi-sided or manifold wisdom of God. The church displays the multicolored or multi-sided or manifold wisdom of God. I want you to, I'm going to read this slow. And I just want to say to you, as even though I wrote this this week, there is so much here. And I want to read it slow. And, I, and my prayer, I was I even writing this stuff going, Lord, I've only got a short amount of time. If we were studying through Ephesians, we'd just park here for a while. But I pray that Holy Spirit will let this sink and seep into the crevices of your soul and you would enjoy this passage. Listen to this. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus of which Timothy is an elder. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. What grace? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable Riches of Christ. We we read, it's strange, we read in Corinthians when Paul said, While I was among you, I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And the shallow person goes, well, geez, how could you be at Corinth for all that time and only preach about Jesus? Because His riches are unsearchable. They never come to an end. If all we did, if all we ever did on Sunday mornings was unpack the Incarnation, The God-man. We would be here until He returned. God become flesh. Dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. That statement in John is loaded and rich. So this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So, God has a plan, and it's mysterious, and it's hidden in Him. Where do you find the plan? In God. You want to know the plan? It's hidden, it's mysterious, and it's, all, it's not found by looking here. It's found in Him, in the riches of Christ. This, this is why Paul was saying in Colossians 2, 8, that philosophy is not found in the traditions of men, but it starts in the person of Jesus. The love of wisdom begins in Christ. This is why all education must start with the source of learning. Epistemology. How do we know? We know because there's a God who's the source of knowing. And if you start with creation rather than the God who knows, you've started in the wrong place. And if you start in the wrong place, you will end in the wrong place. This is not hard. Does that make sense? Right? Right? I mean, this is, if, if I'm looking for something and I start in the wrong place, I'm going to end in the wrong place. If I want to know, I don't start by studying creation. I start with the God who made creation. Tracking? It's hidden in God, this mysterious, glorious plan. And why can't we see? Because of the fall, we're blind, we're dead. Our souls are cut off from knowing. Everything's broken. So It's hidden. In God who created all things so that through, this is crazy, I haven't even got to the, the meat of the passage. So that through the church, so that through the church, is the church negotiable? So that through the church, the manifold, this precious word means very diverse, multicolored, multifaceted. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Whoa! Whoa! This eternal, glorious plan of God, hidden in God, this mysterious plan that is found in God and in God alone, is made known through the church? Wow! Wow! It's not made known anywhere else. It's not made known anywhere else. This plan, this glorious plan of God in eternity is made known through the church. And through the church, this multifaceted, multicolored, diverse wisdom of God might now be made known to who? To us, right? No. Notice, this is crazy. Made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that God would show off the multicolored wisdom in His eternal plan to the heavenly beings. That's what it says. And the the end of the verse, this was according to the eternal purpose. In other words, this is God's plan. It's passages like this that cause us to say things that the cross, the fall, was plan A. It's not like God goes, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? That's the plan. It's the eternal plan of God. The eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God's multifaceted wisdom, in other words, His multicolored wisdom, His glorious wisdom, is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this was part of His eternal purpose that we realized in Christ Jesus. If you're not intrigued enough now, you never will be. I would say to you, go read the book of Ephesians and have a blast. Have a blast. Ephesians 3, 8 to 11 says that through this community of the kingdom of God, the church, God's multicolored wisdom is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. First, I want you to note that the church is the vehicle through which the manifold, multicolored wisdom of God is made known. There are other organizations that have purposes to do great and good deeds on our planet for people and for nations. But only the church contains the special presence of Jesus Christ. See Revelation 1. Only the church carries the special presence of Of Jesus Christ. He walks among His lampstands. The churches. The church. This is not to say we don't experience the presence of the Lord daily when we're not gathered. We do. This is one of the beautiful realities of indwelling Holy Spirit. But being... Covenanted to the body of Christ is special and carries with it supernatural realities that when a person is in sin and church discipline is enacted, removes. Which is why Paul says to remove the unrepentant sinner from the fellowship. The disciplined sinner once removed no longer has access to the supernatural protection and presence of the Lord. Now follow me here. As a result, the Christian who does not covenant with the body but refuses to covenant with the body refuses in a very real way to come under the influence of the chief shepherd Jesus and his supernatural shepherding. Church is a glorious reality that carries with it so much more than just the physical gathering. The physical gathering is essential, but there's more going on right now. Than you could ever imagine. The eternal multifaceted wisdom of God. Being proclaimed in the heavenly places. Do you realize that's happening right now? That what's going off in your soul. Has eternal implications. In the heavenly realms. This is so much more than just sitting here. There's work happening in the heavenly places. God's wisdom is being put on display. In the heavenly places. This is why there is spiritual war to be fought. Which is why Paul deals with that at the end of the book of Ephesians. And we'll deal with that when we get into Timothy. And Paul talks about that to his young protege. Next note that God's manifold wisdom is made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This is probably the whole host of heavenly beings. Not merely angels or evil powers. Check out chapter 6 verse 12 in Ephesians. These heavenly beings, being fallen and faithful alike, are assembled witnesses before whom God vindicates His wisdom. God vindicates His wisdom through the church, which is the expression of His wisdom. And even deeper, verse 11 affirms that this is according to His eternal purpose realized in Christ. Now, you look at chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 of Ephesians, and chapter 2, verse 11 to 22. The eternal purpose realized in Christ that is vindicating God's wisdom and shows it to be so glorious and multicolored is this beautiful reality. The unity of all things in Christ And his unity brought to expression in a local and global church where Jew and Gentile live and worship as one body in harmony with God and with each other in Christ. And this unity is emphasized in the rest of the book of Ephesians. And he says, according to Paul in chapters 4 to 6, it's the central witness to this powerful gospel. Jesus' prayer in John 17 emphasized this unity under God purchased by Christ as the powerful witness to the work Jesus was about to accomplish on the cross. All of this through the church. That God's wisdom is put on display and bringing together this local and global community, Jew and Gentile, ethnically diverse, local and global, put together one body covered by Christ, puts on display the multifaceted wisdom of God. Is the church negotiable for the Christian? No. Negative Ghost Rider. Right the pattern is full. Therefore, we dare not minimize the church. We dare not neglect the church. We dare not abuse the church. We dare not mislead the church. We dare not segregate the church by race or age. Jew and Gentile. I almost said this a couple of weeks ago and I, and I I didn't because I had to back off and ask permission and I did so I'm going to say it now. I spoke to my friend in uh, New Jersey. He's a pastor of a church that's cut out of the same mold we are. We're cut out of the, the, the same cloth. Um, he made this statement to me and we're talking about the ethnic diversity in the church in North America and its lack of ethnic diversity. And he's a black man, and so he has a right to say this. And he said, "For black people coming to a white church is not a big deal, because we know how to be white. But the reason white people don't come to black church is because you don't know how to be black. And that's all fine and good until white people start." learning how to act in appropriate fashion and we let black people act like black people not white people it's easy to talk that stuff in in a church where we all where it's monochromatic isn't it and we got just maybe a little speckling here and there here's where you feel this get out of the country go overseas somewhere where you're in the minority all of a sudden and then you feel what it's like to be in the minority and the difficulty to put on a different skin and fit in We don't know this because we're the majority. Part of the work of Christ in building His church and the manifold wisdom of God is shown in Him bringing Jew and Gentile together into one body, not two bodies ethnically different from one another. That's not an expression of the manifold wisdom of God. It's sin. And the church is to display this, meaning it can't look monochromatic. How cool would it be? You hear me say this often. If our church looks like, and I mean it's got to start at the leadership level. Hispanic, black, white. And that bleeds down through the fellowship. What would it be like if somebody broke out into some Lecrae or Trip Lee to lead you on Sunday morning? Would that offend you? If so, you have no desire to put God's manifold wisdom on display to the rulers and authorities. You want to be worshipped. You see, the reality is we dare not segregate the church by race or age. We dare not just be here to reach 18 to 25 year old white people. Because the manifold wisdom of God is put on display when the church is precious and integrated age and race. Because He has taken the two, read Ephesians, who are hostile, and He's brought them together in one body. See, we dare not think the church isn't capable of being the central organization of the global advance of the gospel and replace her with something else. The church of Jesus Christ is precious. She's the bride of Christ. She is glorious. And we, this morning, along with other fellowships, are a glorious proclamation of the multifaceted, multicolored wisdom of God. Do you in any way, shape, form, or fashion think the church is irrelevant? No. She is not. She's precious. She's precious. Precious and to be revered and honored. Fought for, not replaced. Another reality we find in the Bible about the church is the church is visible yet invisible. The glorious institution of the Lord that is making His wisdom known in the heavenlies is also visible and invisible. And this visible church, according to Grudem, is the church as man sees it. The invisible church is a church as God sees it. We're told in 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows those who are His. Jesus told the parable of the wheat and the weeds to teach that in the kingdom there are true followers of Jesus and there are fake followers of Jesus. Some know and some live in the truth and some are deceived. Such is the case resulting from a devastating fall in Eden. In Acts 20, 29, Paul warned this church, Ephesus, that fierce wolves would come from their own number and devour the people. So the church exists as those the Lord knows who are His, the invisible church, and the organization, the visible church, as the culture sees it at large. Do you know their implications to that? And they're huge. What are the implications of the church... As it truly is. And the church as it's seen on the outside. Are you aware the church is visible from the outside? Do you know this? Do you understand that the culture at large views the church? And how it's viewed is not how God views it. This is a key distinction the Bible makes. As far as it depends on us. We want to display to the world. What is to be displayed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Right? 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 We want them to see the multifaceted wisdom of God. We want them to see the glory of God. We want to put His glorious wisdom on display in the church. So we are displaying properly what is. Here's some implications. One, we have to exercise church discipline to preserve the integrity of the church in the eyes of the world. When I say world, I'm drawing a distinction between the lies opposed to the gospel and the culture and society. What I mean by that is we have to preserve the integrity of the church in the eyes of society. We have to exercise church discipline to guard the fellowship from the leaven of rebellion against the Lord. Sin infects and it affects the atmosphere, the culture that everybody takes in. This is why Paul will tell them a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough, right? You get the baking illustration. Anybody make bread? You don't put an equal amount of yeast to dough, right? A little bit leavens the whole lump. Paul uses that as an illustration of rebellion, which is why he tells the Corinthian church, make sure you deal with that. Because sin doesn't just affect the individual. Sin affects the whole atmosphere because it's a spiritual issue, not a physical issue. Therefore, when you walk into an environment ruled by sin, your soul can sniff it. Discerning people feel it. And so therefore, sin gone unchecked hurts more than the individual. It hurts everyone and ultimately... The visible church is affected because those on the outside look and see no distinction between the church and the rest of culture at large. If we don't take holiness and righteousness seriously, we damage the reputation of Christ and we hurt others that we are one with. Another implication is we have to encourage perseverance for those who know and live the truth. The Lord knows those who are His and He will not let His elect go. That's a glorious reality. Jesus says, the Father has given them to me and I hold them and I lose none of them. But one of the means, the Lord uses means, right? You understand means? He uses ways. He uses means of keeping his people is by providential encouragement to saints from other saints. You ever notice how somebody has an encouraging word for you at just the right moment? The Lord keeps his people through means, as Jim gloriously illustrated with his friend at the right time. His path just happened to run across a person who happened to go to the church where he grew up in, and she just happened to invite him, and he just happened to need it at is that accidental? Or is God providential? He's providential. God providentially encourages the saints through other saints at those moments. And so therefore I say to you this morning, be aware that your presence here is not accidental. It's not you exerting your will over God's. You don't have that right. We value that truth here at this church. God put you here and He put you here to be instructed, taught, encouraged. So think for a moment. What are the providential encounters I will have this morning with saints who need to hear from the Lord through the gift He's given me? But you know, this also works the other way too. Satan hates the church and he seeks our demise. Often you'll find that one who is being assaulted by the lies of the evil one will have a damaging and deflating berating for you as things are just starting to look up. You ever notice that happens too? Satan and the rulers in the heavenly places are astute observers and they seek to inject as much chaos as possible. This is all the more reason to make sure you're connected to the body and not segregated from the body. You need encouragement, not berating. Make sure you're not a berater. Defecting from the faith robs God of glory publicly and in the heavenly places, destroys the defector and hurts the faithful. A timely encouragement is just what is needed. Let's say to you, as we, as we move from the, the talk in a few minutes to singing to the Lord, listen for the person. Listen to your soul. It might not just be your brain talking to you. Those f- thoughts might not just be you being sovereign, because you're not. It could be if Holy Spirit dwells in you, giving you a person and words to say to them. Remember, we are not naturalists. We are supernaturalists, right? We're Christians. Pay attention. The Lord may have you as a means of preserving someone today. Be aware. How cool would that be? That you're a means of God's grace to a brother struggling or a sister struggling. How cool is that? And finally, we maintain Christ-exalting, Christ-centered worship as an implication of this glorious reality of the invisible and visible church. We have to maintain Christ exalting, Christ centered worship because Jesus is our audience. When Jesus is the object of our preparation, the people of God are built up. When the people of God are built up, then the people of God are built up in the eyes of the culture. When the object of our preparation becomes us, we become idolaters and we offer nothing truly transforming to the culture at large. It's just a subpar concert. Christ's exalting worship is part of making disciples and fills the earth with people who desire to make Jesus big. I have great admiration for these guys who get here long before most of you ever show up or think about getting here to set up sound and to practice and be ready. Jesus is their object, not you. They don't prepare to make you happy. They play for Jesus because they recognize He is the audience. You are the actors and their job is to get you and what they're bringing to respond to Jesus and make Him big because He is the one looking in. That makes disciples, not concert goers. You can go to a concert and get nothing. You can come and meet Jesus and be changed. That makes disciples and sends them to the earth. You know what I love about this little fellowship? It's we've sent more people to other unreached people groups alone than most churches five times our size in our town. How? There's no smoke, lights, mirrors. Somebody's going to blow you away today. It's just not happening. I mean, Greg came from feeding chickens and watering plants today. How cool is that? And he he made it here because Jesus is here. And it feeds his soul. And it's that kind of thing that takes people like that and launches them to the nations. Not a superior strategy. It's Jesus. It's Jesus' presence. It's because people want to be here to lift Jesus up. That's the crazy thing about this fellowship is people come here, they meet Jesus and He launches them to the nations. That's why we'll probably never be large as we send more people than we bring in. Imagine that. How cool is that? But that's what happens when we make Jesus the object. The visible church presents to the culture the glories and the manifold wisdom of Christ. I'll say this to you, that is very attractive, but it's also very repelling. I hear that a lot. Man, I come in there and I feel weird. I feel like you guys want me to go and do something with my life. (laughs) Well, you're right. Sorry. You can't just come be a spectator. It's not going to happen. Jesus won't let that happen. So it's funny. People come and check us out and leave about as quick as they can get out that back door. But man, some of you guys come and like, man, that smells good. I might die if I go to that place. They might send me. I, I might. God might call me somewhere I don't want to go. He might. Make, he might call me to do stuff that makes me uncomfortable. But God, I want to give my life away. That's kind of how our church is perceived. Just so you know, man, I want to go give my life away there, or I got to leave because they might ask me to do something. It's kind of how Jesus, I think, works. I need to hurry up. The church is local and universal. The church is local and universal. I can't wait to talk about this one next week. Glocal. Glocal fires me up. Because the... Glocal is what attracts or repels people. And you'll hear next week. So if you want to be... If you're like afraid to give your life away to something that matters, don't come next week. Don't come. If you're afraid of what Jesus may do with you in the workplace, don't come next week. All right? It's not a call to ministry thing where you're going to leave your job and be a pastor. No, 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 no. That's the last thing we want to see happen. That's not... No, 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 no. If you want to see how Jesus intends to use your job in the domains of society to transform culture, be here next week. If not, don't. But this idea of the local and universal is huge in the global advance of the gospel. As long as the gathering is observing the sacraments, engaging the Great Commission by planting churches, engaging the domains of society, making disciples through front door strategic engagement of unreached people groups. You can call it a church. And the church can take many forms. Inside culture as a local reality and a global reality. Some examples in Romans 16.5 and 1 Corinthians 16.19, a house church is called the church. Why? Because it's fulfilling those things I just said to you there. A, it's not a church if they're not doing the sacraments, the Great Commission, planting churches, engaging the main society. If it's just holding up to isolate itself from the world, it's not church. It's not church. But if it's doing those things, Romans 16.5 and 1 Corinthians 16.19, a house church can be the church. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, 2 Corinthians 1, 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, the church of an entire city is called the church. And those things were meeting all over the city, but they were one church. In Acts 9, 31, the church of a region is referred to as a church. Ephesians 5.25, the church throughout the entire world can be called the church because Jesus gave himself up for not Three Rivers Community Church, but for all those who are truly following Christ, doing his mission, his way. The church can be local and it can be global. It's local and it's universal. What are some implications of this? i got to move through this quickly, but first... We recognize, and we must recognize, the vital nature of being in covenant with the church. Because the church is local and universal, we have to see the vital nature of being in covenant with one another. In other words, what we do on the local level has massive implications on the universal level. This is why we have church membership. In 1 Corinthians 5, 12-13, Paul challenges the Corinthian church to judge those who were inside the church and leave judging outsiders to God. How did the Corinthians know who was in and who was out? You ever asked that question? How'd they know? They knew who Paul was talking about because some people had formally, publicly identified themselves with the church in Corinth while the rest of the city had not. And those who had covenanted with the church were inside the church. They were the church's members. And those who hadn't were not. This isn't complicated. Now listen, this is huge. You cannot be rightly loved if you're not willing to be accountable and hold others accountable. This is a local reality that has universal implications. Example, what if a member sins against the body and leaves and takes that same chaos to another fellowship? We've seen that happen. Not here. But when they left here, they went somewhere else and they did not want to know. They did not care. And the same chaos happened there that happened here. You see, the local reality can have universal, far-reaching implications, can it not? The church is local and universal. Finally, a local reality with universal implications, is that we are members of one another and with our family who is persecuted globally. This is among many reasons why the church must be engaged globally. It's necessary if a church is to be a church to be part of the global movement of the kingdom of God and help minister to those who are pioneering the gospel of the kingdom. The local church being part of and empathizing with and serving and helping the universal church advance the kingdom is a major way the church is local and universal. This is why we hurt when our team members hurt in our country. This is why we weep when they are persecuted. This is why we feel the spiritual impact when they are grenaded. This is why we feel the pain when they're shot at the hospital. It's because the local reality has global implications. Wrap this thing up and and finish up this morning. The church has a mission. And in that mission, the church has functions. It has means. What are those functions? I'm going to give them three of them. Very fast. Because you're going to recognize them. And we're going to unpack them in a couple of weeks. Three functions I've been able to identify in the Bible. And I'm also Grudem, Carson. sitting just making this stuff up. It's playing through the Bible and seeing what has God called the church to be. Grudem calls the first one ministry to God. We call it communion. The second one Grudem calls ministry to believers. We call it community. Grudem calls the third one ministry to the world. We call it collision with culture. The church's function is to worship God, be in communion with God. The church's function is to be in community, to minister to one another. And the third and final function of the church is to be in ministry with the world, to collide with culture. We call that the radical life. That is what we are to do. We're to worship God. We're to make much of Jesus Christ. We are to be in community with one another and help each other to make much of Jesus. And in that community, we are to collide with the world in taking the good news of the kingdom of God, purchased through Jesus Christ and His cross, salvation for all who will believe, and heal as we go. That's our function. That's what the church is for. And so the church is vital. The church has a ministry. The church has a function. I want to say to you, if you believe as you ought to, because the Bible is clear that the church is vital, do not sacrifice the fellowship of believers for anything inferior. If the fellowship you're not in isn't doing the mission, then get out of it. It's not a church. Be part of the church. Be part of a fellowship. If you don't like this one, there are others in town. Come see me. I'll point you to some good pastors and good fellowships who love Jesus, love the gospel, love the world. Okay? But don't neglect the fellowship of believers. It is vital. It's essential. If you call yourself Christian, it is a necessity. Be in fellowship. Worship God. Minister to one another. Collide with culture. We do those things. We're making much of Jesus functioning as a church. We're getting the mission done. You want to do that? You believe that's what we're here for? I believe so. Why don't we worship together? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing to Jesus. Lord, we thank you today for your great grace to us, and we thank you, Father, for the glorious reality of the church. We thank you that your manifold wisdom is made known to the rulers in heavenly places. And so, Lord, we pray now that you would display through us, to the hosts of heaven. How glorious and amazing your wisdom is. in the plan you have made. In eternity realized in Jesus Christ. Lord I pray you would make that known. Lord I pray through people. Transformed by the gospel. Making much of you. You would display glory. Holy Spirit I pray you would speak to believers. Who need to go and encourage other believers. I pray you would do that today. I pray you would remove obstacles of obedience. And you would caused ministry to take place that we'd be in community. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak clearly to launch people to Rome and Floyd County to the nations. Pray that as people engage you in this, you would equip them and send them out. Lord, I pray against any, any spirit that would set itself up Against those glorious things. Pray you would conquer that. And that you would win the day there. And your rebellious attitude. Pray that you would take it away. And that you would bring before yourself a people. Taken and smitten with you. Loving each other. Loving the world for the sake of Jesus. Would you do that please? Rule this time now Jesus. As we make much of you. You're the object of our worship. You're the object of our praise. We're here for you. Not for what we can get, but what we offer up to you. And so we want to offer that now for your glory and for our joy.